This is Timestamp, the podcast dedicated to capturing this moment in time. I'm Amy Breslow. Today's episode, Meeting the Gaze. My guest today is Mary, who identifies as a Midwestern transplant to Utah and a healthcare worker. The ability to be compassionate during times of uncertainty. And sometimes that means letting go of my expectations, what I believe to be the correct response and letting the experience unfold. I am a healthcare provider, and that does define a lot of my time and energy these days, but I also found myself being a healthcare recipient with my mom's diagnosis. So the uncertainties in both worlds were so juxtaposed it, it required a lot of centering, um, required a lot of reframing of what is my role in, in both camps. I found ourselves in early March after two-plus two years of being a pretty hands-on caregiver for my mother at a facility, leaving that Friday the 13th of March, going to work, only to find out that evening that they had closed down the facility due to an outbreak. So that was um, quite a startle. We'd be, we had begun to recognize that the hospital was going to have a different influx of patients, that this virus coming was more than the flu, that we would have to be ready to respond. And I think I could adjust. There's lots of layers at my hospital. So I felt like I, I knew I, I would know my path, but it was uncharted how to not be able to see my mom. And then I thought, well, I can play the healthcare card. I can go in there. And it took me about the rest of the day and into the weekend to realize what would I be telling my mom's caregivers if I felt like I didn't trust them to care for her the way they've been doing and without my influence. And I relegated myself to daughter and thought if I can't be the hands-on person dressing her, caring for her, making sure she does all her daily tasks, enjoying eating, etc., I would leave it to them, and I would wave to her from the window for as long as required. That was hard. That was hard. I'm a nurse practitioner in a hospital setting. I have been nursing uh, primarily my career hospice and palliative care, which is a focus on supportive symptom management even through uh, end of life. But often uh, in the hospital setting, it's while they're receiving therapies, treatments, decision-making, setting parameters for their care. So having worked in the hospital setting, providing goals of care and symptom management and as a consult service, when the COVID virus started to encroach into the hospital, 
here in Utah, we experienced it very slowly. People were very responsive to social distancing, early on understanding the value of masking. And what we saw in the hospital is teams making decisions to redeploy. So elective surgeries were put on hold and clinics were going to video visits and suddenly without visitors in the hospital. For the first couple months, the hospital was eerily quiet. And yet there were one or two or three or four or seven or 12. And then you could start to see the, the rolling numbers increase of COVID patients. But we also had other healthcare that was continuing, our cancer diagnoses, our stroke diagnoses, our heart failure. Those patients were still coming through and we were still working with them. What I saw happening in the early months of spring into summer was that people were making different choices based on the overlay of the COVID pandemic that was in full bloom in other parts of the country. As the summer went on, I think we adapted and we appreciated our open skies and open lands of the West and not having as much population density. So our numbers stayed low for a fairly long time. We had watched New York go through their crises. And to my colleagues' credits, a good dozen of them went to New York during the worst of their times and helped those nurses out and nurse practitioners and PAs. Later, it was with the plan that they would come help us out when our numbers changed. And in fact, they did. By fall, the resumption of school, it finally reaching some of our more rural and remote areas were being impacted. And healthcare started to change again. Um, The numbers exponentially went up and the nurses came from um, New York State to help us out and traveler nurses, which are a rare and needed service at this time. There's just not enough nursing staff. So suddenly we were having an influx of a lot of new nurses to be at bedside to help for these very complex patients. Our ICUs had kind of a rolling bed process where the sickest of the sick would be back in the isolation area, which only a few healthcare providers would have access to using the full pressured uh, air hood called a PAPR along with PPE. And then less sick people would roll out into the regular floors, having some room isolation, but not a whole unit. The emergency room was the front line. Everybody that was coming in as the numbers got higher in Utah, I think we realized a lot were coming in from the smaller areas and smaller hospitals. And then we had to work with our community hospitals to deflect saving the sickest for our ICUs. I watched my colleagues get really tired and sad and having to reconcile. I had to reconcile every day going into that and helping the best I could with long, long stays in the ICU. Patients normally are in an ICU three or four days, and these are three or four week courses, and families can't be at bedside. So communication was through iPads and 
Google Duo and FaceTime and everyone had to up their techno game to communicate the safety of making sure everyone didn't carry anything out of the hospital. People came in with a set of clothes, wear the, the scrubs at the hospital, change out, go home in different clothes and throw those in the wash. I mean, there was a whole new routine that it required us as healthcare providers to integrate back into our own home. Where I saw us the saddest, I think, was when we felt like the battle that we were fighting inside was, this is, this is what we do. We're healthcare providers. We will work together to do what we can. But then when you see the relaxed attitude or even the defiant attitude or the misinformation that it wasn't as bad as it was, that was hard to carry. That was hard to reconcile. Grocery store moments when people weren't wearing masks uh, became an affrontery to what I just did. I think one of the more paralyzing moments was having a pretty horrific week of watching a particular set of patients who had gone through their course of COVID and didn't survive and how hard the nurses worked and how attached they were. And then the next day going to the grocery store and having someone call the manager on a uh, someone in the store who didn't feel he needed to wear a mask. And I was so emotionally um, taken aback. I had, I kind of stepped back and hid off to the side because I was so hurt and so angry that I didn't have words. I didn't have words to what I would say if I had to confront that. Others were very clear about it. It's not about you. It's the law. It's required, etc. cetera. Um, but I didn't have the words, and that startled me that I was, I didn't know how to reconcile it. It took about another 12 hours that, that evening. I realized that what I would want to say if I experienced that with that person the same way was I would go up with my most fervent intention to inform them that we're all in this together. And I just took and worked with three people in getting them off life support to pass away. That's what I did today to help with the pandemic. What can you do to help the pandemic? I, I did want to shame him. I did want him to be aware this is real. So in my head, I felt a little stronger that I didn't have to hide away from my emotions, that I could actually confront the feeling that they came up with his defiance and how it hurts so many and so many that we don't even know. We had an un unfortunate scenario in a county a few miles away that people rushed the hospital, come in filming because they wanted to prove that it was a hoax. When I know my colleagues down at that hospital working just as hard as we were to save and to recover or to help families come to terms with their loved one passing from COVID. I learned a lot about what happens in the hospital and how to, to 
really be present. My colleagues, with all of our masks now and all of our hoods and our goggles, we were down to just all we have are your eyes. Can't read their lips. We can't read their emotions. Everyone's in big gowns. So I noticed I found myself taking longer to walk down halls because a hi, how are you was a different question now. And I could see in their eyes in that, that split second that they needed to be seen. And sometimes it just took longer to, to get from one place to another because people needed to say they're hurting, they're sad, they're tired, and they know that they've got the best resources they can, they're doing the best they can, and families can't be there the same way they used to be. And nurses are working physically, physically so hard that I, I think it was wearing on all the, the levels, the, the docs, the nurse practitioners, the physician assistants, the, the aides, all the therapists. Oh my gosh, the speech therapy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, just the basics to keep a body moving while it's fighting to breathe. Uh, I'm humbled by the level of care given to a person to do for itself what it can't during this disease. And when it's successful, it's so impressive. And then switching gears, I didn't know what my role was. I I've came from hospice and end-of-life care, and I watched weeks and weeks of people succumbing to this illness and nurses and doctors, everybody working together to try and return some function. It took a while, but I, I think these last few months, I, I found my stride of how do I, how do I bring what I do to the table, which in some ways is holding space to allow and support families to be at bedside during the death of a patient. And as we understood more about the disease and our resources, we were able to provide that. And then instead of coming home exhausted and depleted for having given what I thought would help and not knowing if it made a difference to seeing families at bedside, making peace with their goodbyes, removing life support, seeing the gentle, natural transition to death. I felt like palliative care and end-of-life care and comfort care still has a place, even during a pandemic, and that the importance of understanding a patient, who they were before the disease, what stories they can be told about them, that's what sustained me. And I, I think that would be my overarching theme from all of this is the work is hard. A pandemic is like nothing we've ever experienced. And yet with all of our resources, technology, people, it was the stories that sustained me. Families telling their stories could keep that person alive in them even as we remove the machines. And that made all the difference for me. 
know that my focus of healthcare has been around the pandemic, but the impact of the political stance against science has been a, it's been a difficult one um, to reconcile. Utah is known to be a fairly red state, and I think I might even say it's got pockets of orange right now that are are blind to the realities of what we could learn, what is predictable and preventable. And we watched it in New York and we watched it in California. So we felt like we had kind of bookends to learn from. Our elected officials uh, are divided about it. Some are very vocal about it. And by the time the political races, both locally and nationally, were in full swing, even COVID became politicized. And that was that was really disheartening because I think, again, COVID, predictable and preventable. And then the Black Lives Matter movement that was um, amazingly active in the state of Utah, where for the first time I see saw the, the brown and black and white people marching together for the ideas against what we know not to be right. Some of our elected officials and people in positions of power did not see a problem with the level of violence perpetrated against people of color. Uh, that, that was hard. When people were going out and doing even peaceful protesting, wearing a mask was a sign of uh, protest in some minds. And so people would show up and protest not wearing a mask uh, and kind of mocking the science. Some of our elected officials were not willing to say, no, this needs to be a mandate. Some of our, our governor was really challenged to push back. Education and the economy took a big hit because people did not accept what was our basic responsibility to each other and to ourselves. Masking works, hand washing works, social distancing works, and to fly in the face of that meant we were going to suffer. And suffer we are. It is not past tense. Our vaccine has started to roll out. I'm grateful to be in the early tiers to to have the vaccine, but I see many people not sure that they even want to take that as a community responsibility to help slow just the way that this virus is spreading. So Utah is a challenge, and now most recently another predictable and preventable situation in our nation's capital. And I was appreciative of Senator Mitt Romney, again, speaking his conviction and calling it for what it was. It was a violent insurrection. It was not a peaceful protest with rights being infringed upon. It was people taking what they thought their rights were to destroy. I appreciated that Mitt Romney... And for one of the few times, uh, Senator Mike Lee, I appreciated his 
recognizing the role of Congress to move forward in a democratic process and accept the election. As Mitt Romney said, tell the truth. That's the best thing we can do for anybody who doubts. I do think I saw the changes in healthcare that came late because COVID became politicized. A mask told whether you voted one way or another. And I was deeply saddened by that, that conflict. And I'm much more hopeful when I see that we've gone this far that the point of us coming together as a state and recognizing a peaceful transition of power is required and that working together is what will defeat the unseen virus to help us heal as a nation by recognizing some of the deep racism that exists and the inequities. In, in my world of healthcare, we knew that there were inequities, but healthcare had all of its cracks exposed by who gets health care, who comes to the hospital late with many illnesses because they don't have the resources for what an essential worker is and what frontline workers and what they were put through without proper equipment and then going home to a multi-generational family and finding them in the hospital uh, for the first time maybe. Um, and not always recovering. And it was such a huge learning curve for me to recognize the culture and the ethnicity and the race of an individual shouldn't determine their healthcare outcome. But it, it was exposing a lot of what we need to do as a nation to heal. And healthcare and education are at the front of that. And Utah, for all its family values, I think we have our own learning curve about caring for one another, masking not for just ourselves, but for one another, providing the resources for education and health care at a much more equal way so that the east side doesn't get all the testing and all the vaccines and the west side doesn't. Those are, those are things that we need to recognize so that we can be a state again, so we can be a healed nation again. And we have a long journey, a long journey ahead of us. Thanks for listening. Timestamp is produced by me, Amy Breslow, with original music by Maddie Schuler. You can find us at timestamppodcast.com and can subscribe on Apple, Stitcher, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'll be back in one or two weeks with the next episode. Until then, take care and be well. Mm-hmm.